Good morning. And just for the record, I paid Pastor Peter to say all those things. I gave him a script and he followed it well. Most of what he said is true. Most of what he said. I'm grateful to be here with you. Just a very special church. I got to meet some of your men and just wonderful fellas who allowed me to score in basketball so that my ego wouldn't be deflated. And so I'm very excited. Thank you, Pastor Al, for just your hospitality and um, and uh, being here with us, uh, coming back from an amazing trip I, I got to hear so much about. And, and of course, thank you, Peter. Our, our friendship is, is a blessing. After all these years, uh, we still talk to each other, and that's really good. That doesn't happen too often in the body of Christ, but it's, it's good to know that we still have that friendship. Uh, so many of you I have met over the years, and, and I have to say that I have admired you from a distance. You are a wonderful church. I've heard nothing but good things about you and nothing but good things about what God is doing here in the multi-congregation that you have going on. And so before I get into the word, I want to spend some time in prayer and to submit this message uh, unto the Lord and pray that his Holy Spirit would speak uh, powerfully to us, illuminate our hearts so that we can appreciate what he has to share with us in this text. So let's pray together and, and just give God some thanks. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your tender love and mercy and compassion that's never failing, your faithfulness that is new every morning, your mercies are new every morning because your faithfulness is great. God, thank you. We pray, Lord, that you would speak and that we would hear and we would be careful to do just as you have told us to do. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity just to worship you. Not just in word and not just in song, but in this time of prayer and now uh, after this message in communion, Lord, we take that moment to remember you. So we thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you're still doing. God, we stand humbly here this morning just appreciating who you are and all that you've done. Thank you for your many mercies. Lord, we give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. It was in the early 1900s and and prior to that, that we heard about this great awakening, a time in our American history where we had the unity of churches across denominations with this willingness and this desire, it had to be by the Holy Spirit, of all of us needing to come together for a revival. I have been seeing that in the last couple of years that there is this steady desire of churches on Long Island and in Queens and all over the country for revival. There seems to be this burning desire in the hearts of God's people to see his kingdom come now. There seems to be a burning desire in God's people to see more lost people come to faith in Christ. More and more we hear about what it means to be more sensitive to those who visit, more sensitive to those who are hungry to understand what could God be about, what could Jesus be about. Work is that I get to be an assessor and I go into churches and I help them revitalize. I I point out things with my team and we show things and reveal things that they may want to change and adjust. 
And I see more and more that there is this desire from churches that are filled with thousands of people to churches that have 10. There is this deep desire for a revival. What in the world does that look like? And I think what God is doing with us today is that he's drawing us into a love relationship all over again. He is calling his people back to loving him again. And through circumstances that outside of us, God is calling us into a relationship where we would learn what it means to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I find that the churches that I work with that don't uh, increase, the churches that don't do very well, is because they've got the love a little bit off. Jesus has this moment, and if you would, I'm in Luke chapter 10, I'm going to start in verse 25, if you wouldn't mind going there in your apps or whatever device you choose to use. Just don't use your memory. But turn there and something. And so in Luke chapter 10, you, you have in context here that Jesus has sent out 72 people into the town ahead of him so, he could, so they could minister to the people and prepare for his coming. Isn't that what we do as pastors and as church folk? We minister to people to prepare for the coming of the Lord. And they're very excited right at the beginning of chapter 10 because they're telling Jesus, you wouldn't believe all the wonderful things that we have done. And Jesus reminds them in in his own way, you wouldn't be able to do any of those things if it wasn't for his work. He kills their arrogance quickly to the degree, he says, listen, even I saw Satan shot out like a lightning out of heaven, crashing into this earth to remind even the angel of light lost its illumination because of his arrogance. We do nothing without the power of God. And so Jesus gets to this point, and it says here in verse 25, on one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What a wonderful question. I I wish that every time I evangelize, that would be the question that would be asked. So pastor, how do I get eternal life? I would be so excited. Well, glad you asked, because it's what I do. (laughs) I tell people about eternal life. And so Jesus is receiving this message, but remember, this expert in the law is trying to trick him. He's trying to test him. So Jesus responds, verse 26, what is written in the law? He replies, how do you read it? Jesus is asking him. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Now watch what he says. He says, now go do this and you will live. I would say in most churches across America, not only do we have this text memorized, but we believe that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we use terminologies love God because I'm at church. I'm there every Sunday. I get to check the box. That means I love God. I'm under his word. I'm hearing the sermon. I'm there every Sunday. And some of us will say, well, you know what? Of course I love God because I not only go to church, I stepped up and I volunteered. They don't pay me for anything. I give my time. I have worshiped uh, in this church. I, I handle this ministry Sunday nursery, whatever it is. I I am better than those who show up on Sunday, so I'm showing God's love more. 
And maybe somebody else steps up and says, well, you think you're great. Well, I'm greater than you because guess what? I lead missions trips. I not only work in a Sunday school, but I also take people out of here into other countries to give them opportunities where they can love God. Let me show you what my love looks like. And maybe somebody else steps up and says, well, I'm an elder. You wouldn't be able to go on a trip unless I approved it. And the elder says, obviously, I love the Lord because not only do I serve in a Sunday school, not only do I do scripture reading on Sundays, but I get to talk about the spiritual issues and challenges of this church. And then a trustee walks in and said, but you can't buy a darn thing without me okaying it because it's not your name on the check. I obviously love the Lord because I'm the gatekeeper, the good steward who makes sure that you spend your money correctly. And you, church, approve them. And then the trustee says, well, obviously I love the Lord because I do a little bit better. And then the maintenance guy says, I love the Lord the most because if I don't clean the church, none of you people would show up. And so you have a bunch of people who show up every single Sunday in your church and my church with this understanding. Obviously, I love the Lord with all my heart. I do love him with all my soul because I'm a believer. I gave my soul to him and I do love him with all my mind because I think about him. But Jesus didn't turn to the man and say, well, that's good enough. This is love. And so, all right, go ahead and just continue to do and believe and think the way you do. He asks him a question. He says, in fact, he doesn't ask him a question. He says in verse 28, do this. There's something I should do that expresses my love to the Lord. There's something I should do to express my love to God. But he wanted to justify himself. That's what the scripture said. He wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Here's the thing. Here's what he's trying to do. He's saying, I already do all of this. He's a typical congregation, church-going member. I already do all of this stuff. So, who's my neighbor? Now, for you to understand why the rest of this story is a very tough story for them, because his neighbor would have been another Jew. It's easy for me as a Jew to love another Jew because they're like me. It's easy easy for me to go into certain areas of Queens and Brooklyn and Manhattan that are, are not as sanitized, if you would, as other neighborhoods because they're like where I came from. It's easy if my neighbor looks like me, acts like me, eats what I eat, says what I said, and do all these wonderful things. That's my neighbor. I'm used to my neighbor being this way. It's easy for me if my neighbor speaks the same language because at least we understand what we're saying and it's just easy for you, me to use my native tongue and, and that's my neighbor. That's what he's thinking. I want to justify myself because if Jesus said your neighbor is your fellow Jew, he would say, oh man, then I'm good. I'm good. I have connected really well with other Jews. We are kosher together. We, have eat, we, we eat the same meal. We have Passover. In fact, I have Passover in all the neighbors in my neighborhood. Of course you do. All of you go to the same synagogue. So he would have said, man, I'm good. I'm good. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus makes the situation uncomfortable. And some of you, when I started walking down this road of who my neighbor is, started getting a little uncomfortable. He started looking at me a little bit differently. I'm a little uncomfortable. I know where he's going. I know what you're saying. I've heard this before. It's been preached last year. I heard this before, and I'm a little uncomfortable because he's about to take us somewhere, and I don't want to go there. I don't want to talk about the neighbor that's different. 
Jesus is about to make the situation uncomfortable. And so I am going to expose what I call, if you want to take notes, three C's. Three C's that Jesus exposes in this story. Three very uncomfortable C's. I promise that one of you will agree with at least one of the C's. But the other two will make you uncomfortable. They gradually make you more uncomfortable. But here's the truth. The more uncomfortable we get, the more we change. Some of us, we just have not lost the weight that we've been trying to lose yet. You know why? Because the medical situation has not risen for you to lose the weight. You go to the gym, but you eat the same stuff. But when the doctor looks over and says, you have diabetes, I bet that treadmill will run you. Do you understand? Uncomfortability makes us change. So here we go. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus says, a man is going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of Roberts? Verse 37 says, the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him then, go and do likewise. It's James Montgomery Boyce who reminds us that in the parables of Jesus, there is something deeper than just the story itself. I hope to expose those deeper things today. Jesus tells the story to upset the people around him, and he successfully does so. He says there's a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho, which indicates he's leaving his place of worship, and he's going home. He's leaving Jerusalem. He has already had his time of worship, and he's going home. I'm going to do my best to contemporize this. This man was leaving church, probably had a great service, and he's going home. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they beat him, stripped him of his clothes, and went away, leaving him half dead. And here's what happened. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Jesus is really good with this story. The priest is going down the road. He is in the same side as the man who has been beaten. And when he sees the man, he crosses the street. Now, before you judge this man, let me put it to you this way. He's walking down the street and he sees that homeless guy and he knows that guy's going to hit him up for money. So he crosses the street. Maybe it makes you feel better if I say it this way. He he sees the homeless guy on the street and all of a sudden he's like, oh, man, takes out his cell phone and pretends the guy's not there. Well, maybe I'll give it a little di- di- different. He sees the man on the subway and he goes, oh, well, I'm not going to sit in this car. 
oh, I'm going to sit on the other side. Because where he is, I don't want to be, because you know what, then I'll have to deal with him. And then what if he turns around and talks to me? I have to deal with it. If I bend over and help this man in the street, I have to now own this responsibility. I don't want to do that. What's even worst of it all is the characters that Jesus chooses. The priest. It's the priest. It's the one who would speak the word of God. He was the pastor, if he would. He was the one in charge. He was the one who was responsible for communicating the word of God. If anyone should stop, it would be the priest. If anyone would ever stop, I mean, that is good pulpit fodder right there. It's an opportunity for you to get a story so next week you could say, guys, I was going down the street, saw this guy in need, And I helped him. I want to talk to you about what it means to love your neighbor. And he missed the opportunity. In fact, he crossed the other side because he wanted nothing to do with this man. No one says anything. Why? Because the next one's a Levite. Obviously, the Levite should stop. He's all about the worship. He prepares the synagogue for worship. He makes sure everything is in order. He makes sure the communion table is set and there's enough cups and there's enough matzah for everyone to have. He's the one that makes sure that everything is set. You guys ready with the worship music? Yeah, you got it? All right. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. You doing that? No, you're not. All right, fine. Let me know what's going on. He's the one that prepares it all. Make sure everything is good. Greet as you ready. Right. One, two, three, break. And then the door opens up and Hi. Welcome to Long Island Alliance Church. We're so glad you're here. Shake, 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 shake. They come in and people feel real good because the Levite got the service ready. He's really good. And you sit down in a seat and you're, you're sitting there, you're checking everything out. Well, not bad, not a bad service at all. This is really fantastic. I love being here, right? And then he's walking down on the same side as this man who's, who's been robbed and beaten and he's unclothed. And he does what he saw his leader do. He saw what he did and he, guess what he did? It's the same thing. He crosses over to the other side. Well, if the priest is not going to deal with it, I'm certainly not going to deal with it. Now, the problem is, is that of, of all the people, these two should stop and help what we would believe in the story, at least in its context, that would be a Jewish man. You see, the neighbors didn't help each other. In the truest sense of the word, the two Jews didn't help another Jew. And so they cross over on the other side. Why am I telling you this? Because, you see, the first C, if you want to jot this down, is Christ. You see, we are all about the business of Christ. You are here this morning because of something that Christ did in your life that made you say yes in salvation. If you would, put in parentheses next to that knowledge. We want to know Jesus. It's our desire to know who Christ is and what he's all about. We, we have discipleship and study to know his word. Our church should be about Christ. We want to live Christ. We want to reveal Christ to the people. We want everybody in this room to fall more and more in love with Jesus. In our prayer time before the service, I'm sitting with your two pastors, and we talked about how much we desire for you to fall in love with Christ even more than you did last week. In most churches, we have a desire to know Jesus. Paul says it very well. My desire is to know the Lord and to know him abundantly or know him more. 
None of us would disagree with that. We want to know him more, more about Jesus. This is what the old sim used to say, more about Jesus. I long to hear. We want to know more about Christ. But here's the challenge. You can know Jesus and be absolutely useless to the kingdom. These two examples are people who would have known the Old Testament by heart. They would have known what their Torah told them to do. They would have known what to do with the stranger that is spoken of in Leviticus. They would have known what to do with the alien. They would have known what to do with the person who is lost. They would have known what to do. In fact, if they had stopped, they would have honored God if they stopped because they would have honored the commandment that to love the Lord your God with all your hearts soul, mind, and strength, they would have done exactly that if they had stopped, and they didn't do it. They didn't do it. And can you believe you just heard a speaker said, it's not enough to know everything about Christ? But it's not. Let me go a little further. It says, verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Samaritans had to travel from Samaria all the way to Jerusalem to have worship. And this Samaritan, the one person who shouldn't stop because the enemy of the Jews would have been the Samaritan. You see, the Samaritan is the person you don't really want living next to you. You can put a picture of whoever that person is in your mind. The Samaritan is the person that you, 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 you hope to God they don't sit next to you in that chair. The Samaritan is the person that you hope doesn't move in next to you. You know, when you see that for sale sign on the house next to you, you, you start praying, please, God, let it be a believer. Um, God, let it be somebody that will just, uh, just respect my boundaries. Uh, Lord, in, in fact, Lord, please don't let it be like the last person that was here. I just, God, I just, uh, please let me get along with this person. And, and then God sent somebody that you go, oh, my goodness, he obviously didn't hear my prayer. You know what I mean? That's the Samaritan to us. And it says the Samaritan, interestingly enough, Jesus is real wise about this. The Samaritan's on the other side of the road. And he looks over. And he crosses over. It, it, again, James Boyd. Don't miss that statement. The Samaritan was on one side, but he crosses over to help the man in need. But before he did that, he has what I call the second C, which is compassion. Compassion. You could put in parentheses the heart. It says specifically that he saw the man and then he took pity. He saw him. You, you know what we all desire is to be seen? I, I still love working with kids and, and, and youth ministry. And you know what their desire is? They want to be seen. Why do you think they're on social media? And so many of us as parents, all we see is what they should become. Hear me again. What we see is what they should become, but we don't see who they are right now. They just want to be seen. And I've spoken to kids all over, and the number one thing they desire is for their parents to love them better. And here you were, thought you loved them all you could. 
just like you thought you loved the Lord. But you see, when there's no compassion, when there's no heart feeling, when, when, when your heart's not involved, when you don't see the brokenness and, the, and you don't feel the pity for the lost, there's something wrong with your love for God. I question your love for God if your heart's not connected to the pain. Think for a moment what God said to Moses. I have heard the cry of my people and I'm sending you to set them free. You know why Moses was a good candidate? Because Moses' heart and God exactly the same. Moses had a desire for those people to get free. He just didn't know how to go about it. But God also had a desire for those people to get free. And Moses plus God equal victory. What church can we be if we're not feeling pity for the lost? If our hearts aren't broken for those who don't know him, Should you be the only Christians here or is there an empty seat next to you longing to be filled by someone you don't know because God is waiting for your heart to be broken as his is for the people that are next to you in your home to come to church. Jesus said the Samaritan saw him and he felt something. He felt compassion. There are several times in all four Gospels That Jesus, the statement is made about Jesus, and he felt compassion. In fact, there was one moment that he sits down and he looks at all the multitude and he felt compassion for them, turns to his disciples and he says, they are like sheep without a shepherd. And then he tells them, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send more workers. He had compassion. In fact, he is looking at all the multitude and he says, I am not enough to reach all of them. I need more. I need more. 72 is not enough. 12 is certainly not enough. I need more. Another time he felt compassion on the people. He looks out at Jerusalem and he, he cries. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to bring you under my wing like a, a hen, a mother hen does for her chicks. But you won't listen. One time I shared a sermon, I said, God says that about his church. Oh, church, church, how I long to bring you into a place, but you won't listen. And he cries for us because we won't do what he told us to do. And God is feeling this pain and this compassion for a people that we are okay with crossing over to the other side as long as we don't have to deal with them. And I think the Lord looks at that and he says, oh, man. Missed it again. Oh, man. There were so many people in my life that had the opportunity to minister to me, and I would say that they missed it. Why? Because they saw a young African-American boy who was lost, who wanted to play more basketball than go to church. He wanted more girls than he went to church. And they just saw that, and they did what most old people did back in the early 90s. Mm -mm -mm. He's never going to be all right. They looked at my grades and they said, well, his grades aren't that good anyway. You know, it'll just be a stereotype. And they gave me a label. But there was this one man. There was this one man at 17 years old. I I don't know why, but this one man who walked up to me and he just looked at me and he says, you know what? You are fit for God's kingdom. He called something into me that wasn't even alive. He brought to life this idea, the spirit that God had this vision and this idea that downloaded into this 
Trinidadian man who looked into the face of a guy who wore a blue devil's jacket to church and said, God has a plan for your life. And you know why he did that? Because he felt, he felt something for me. Poor kid, God fill him with your spirit. I've never heard his prayers, but I imagine he must have prayed for me. It was about 10 years later, I saw him in the street and I jumped out the car and I said, you wouldn't believe what I'm doing. And he says, you're a pastor, aren't you? And I said, yes. He goes, I know. And I'm thinking I was going to turn to him and say, what in the call? You know, and he was like, no, I knew you were going to go there. Why? Because you were fit for the work of God. He saw that. And a kid who didn't care about his grades, he didn't care about anything like that. I don't know what happened to me in college. Everything started making sense, and I, <laughs> my grades went up. But you know what? He saw something in me. Why? Because he looked at me. He saw me, and he felt something. And he says, look at all these people rejecting this young man, but I want to speak life into him. It's not just enough to know all about Jesus. Where is the compassion Where are the people who are willing to cross over? Where are they? But it's not enough just to know Jesus and feel compassion, because you know what? There's lots of people who go to church all the time, and they go, "Mm, oh, man, poor thing. Oh, Oh, what a terrible thing that happened to the family. Oh, she lost her husband. Oh, I feel her pain. Oh, that's so bad. You know what? You know, people who don't have the third C say things like this. Oh, I feel for you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. And not right now. But I promise I'll lift you up in prayer. They, they love the Lord. They have compassion. But the third C is care. Care. Pastor, are you saying that I don't care? I'm saying you don't care enough to stop right where you are to pray for them. We have a rule in our church in the prayer meeting. If somebody lifts up a prayer request that you can answer at that moment, answer it right there. And turn that prayer request into a praise instantly. Answer it right there. So let me give you an example. We had a, a, a lady in our room, and, and, and uh, we're in this prayer meeting. And she says, it, her prayer request was, you know, I'm, I'm just looking for a home. Um, the house that I'm living right now, I, I'm renting, but the people have decided to sell it, and they're giving me 30 days to move out. And I don't know how in the world we're going to be able to do that, but we're looking, and we're looking everywhere we can. And we just can't find anything that's within the range for my husband and I. And by the time we put money down to buy a house, it's going to take months, but we have to be out of there in 13 days. We only have 18 days left. And she just said, guys, that's my uh, Help me. You know, could you pray for me? We're sitting right across from her is another lady, and she starts laughing, and she says, you want to know what my prayer request is? And uh, I said, sure. And she says, my, my prayer request is, you know, Lord, help me to find a good Christian woman who can live in the house that I, I own right now that my parents used to live in because I don't want to sell it, but I would love to rent it out. And so she wrote the number of the rental amount, gave it to her, and the lady goes, Wow, that's about $400 less than what I was thinking. I'll take it. She could have let that go and done things like, I need to do a background check. I need to pray and ask the Lord if I really should offer this to her. She could have said statements like, I'm going to pray for you because I know what it's like to be without a home. You see, when there's no care, I question your love for God. When there's no care, I question your compassion. Let me show you. 
what the care looked like. And then I'll start to wrap this up. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. Watch what he does. He walks over to the man and he takes all of his own things. This is not like the man was walking around with a first aid kit. He took his own stuff. Yes, let me tell you something. Caring is painful. Caring is costly. It might take money out of your pocket to care. You might have to buy that person a meal. You might have to take that person away on a trip with you. We have a young girl whose parents are just going through a hard time and and all kinds of stuff. And the young girl is just, they have a daughter and they're just going through a really difficult time. So I turn to my kids and my kids are just, they're just awesome. I turn to my three girls. One of them is two, so she didn't have much to say. That was um, understandable anyway. But I have an eight and a 10 year old. And I said, what should we do? And she said, we're going on vacation. Why don't you take her with us? And I went, what? You know how much money that is? You must be out of your mind. And then my wife looks over and says says to me these words. She reminded me, do we care? But honey, some of you men can agree with me, right? You're looking at the ledger and you're going, caring costs money. Do we have to feed her? God, it's a week. You think she can make it without food? Should we hit up her mother for money? She should at least subsidize this. And I'm sitting there, my, my beautiful daughters, they're beautiful. They look like their mom. So I look at them, and they look at me the same way mom looks at me, and I go. Now, I'm the, the, the pastor. I mean, if anyone's going to do it, it should be me, right? And, and uh, I look over, and I go, all right, all right, she can come with us. So they run over to her, and they're, they're, they're about the same age. And they said, guess what? You get to come on vacation with you. I said, that doesn't work. You got to ask her mom first. And they asked her mom. Mom said, sure, I, you know, I'll pay for whatever I can. I said, no, all expenses paid. We'll just take away. It gives you a week to kind of readjust your, your situation. But we're going to have a good time with her. We're going to take her. We were heading down to Pennsylvania, spend a week at a place. And I said, she'll come with us. She'll be all right. I'll make sure she calls you every night, all that good stuff. She said, no, I trust you. It's all right. And we took this young girl with us, and it cost us. It cost us. And we trust, we trust the Lord that he would take care of all the circumstances. And it, 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 we had plans and ideas for the resources that we had, but we, it cost us. We come back from this trip the very next day. I was asked to speak at a conference. Everything that I spent on her, I got back. Do we love the Lord enough to care? Do we love the Lord enough that we can beat the prayer request and make that into a praise report. You see, this man took all his stuff. It was his bandage. Warren Wearsby said, it's interesting that he would have a bandage and oil and wine. He was probably thinking, on my way back from Jerusalem uh, to Jericho, I am going to get robbed. I'm going to get beaten because they hate me. Maybe he carried the supplies for himself. Interesting thought. But it's his stuff. And then he took this man and he puts him on his own donkey, his own beast of burden. And he carries the burden of this man. Next day, he he, he takes him to an inn and here's what he does. He says, two silver coins. And he gave them to the innkeeper. 
It wasn't enough for him to look after him. He goes to another guy and he says, hey, look after this man. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Now, I want you to know that the call of the church and the life of Christ is all through this parable. He takes two silver coins, would, would be a, a, a denarii, right? Or a denarii. He takes a denarii. It's one day's worth. Hear me well now. It's one day's worth of wage. He pays for two days. And on the third day, I'll return. And whatever I owe you, I'll satisfy it. Sound a little familiar? I will cover two days, and I'll return on the third day. And whatever is owed, I will satisfy it. This is what the word, the word reimburse right there in the translation means to bring to completion. I will satisfy it so that there's nothing left. And imagine for a moment that Christ dies and he is gone. And on the third day he comes and all is satisfied. It's interesting, Matthew 28, he says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth, right? All authority, it's satisfied, it's done. I have paid the debt so that you who are broken on the side of the road would be set free. Jesus is showing them what love is all about. Jesus is the example of the story. He's telling them, this is what I'm all about. But not only that, this is what I want my church to be all about, to know who Christ is, but to also have compassion for the lost and for the people around them that are hurting, but to also care. Could we care a little bit more? And I think what God is doing to the church right now is sifting through the people who care, not just the people who know Jesus. In fact, I think any visitor here this morning, they know that there's a bunch of people running around America shouting out how much they know Jesus. But what they're looking for is for the people who care. The reason why we struggle with even Christian politicians is because they love shouting out about Jesus this and the church and Christianity and versus this and all of that. But what the America can't find is the people who care. What America can't find is the people who are willing to have compassion to cry with the mom whose son's been shot. That's what they're looking for. You know Jesus? How come I can't see you weep with the mom who lost her son? Where's the church when officer so-and-so was shot? Why weren't you there to encourage them? So let me give you a final example of what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? A couple years ago, Officer Brian Moore was shot in the face. And I remember sitting down watching this program, couldn't believe it. You know, just I don't know the man. I, I, I don't know him at all. And I just felt here he is, a guy pulls over in, this, in his squad car, sees a man, you know, ruffling through his clothing, says to this man, what are you doing? That was his question. And the man says, you want to see what I'm doing? Pulls out a gun and blasts the officer in the face. And just like that, 25 years old, he's gone. And I was bothered by it. I don't even know why. I don't know the officer. And then I couldn't help get it out of my mind. So I read an article and realized that he is from the 105 precinct. The 105 precinct is literally about. So I walk over to. And I'm thinking about what do I do? What do we do as a church? Can we, do we even do anything? 
Because I'm obviously feeling some compassion, but I don't know how to care. So I, I start praying about it. And I sent a message to the elders and I said, hey, guys, could I have an idea. I was wondering if we could give some money to the family. And I was waiting for some response that came, come, would come across like this, which is typical of Christians, right? You want to give money to a family? Are they believers? But none of my elders asked that question. I was waiting for one of them to say, why would we want to do that? Who is he? Do you know him? Not one of them asked that question. And so I tossed out an amount. Someone said, how much do you want to give? And I tossed out an amount, and one elder wrote back, that is way too little. Double it. Now, I tossed out a, a, a pretty sizable amount, and, and uh, I, I wrote back in bold letters, double it. Another elder says, you know what? We can do more than that. So they, gave, they threw out this crazy amount for a man they have never met, but, but they're feeling this compassion. And so I decide, all right, well, the check's cut. I got it in my hand. I'm going to walk over to the precinct to give it to him. So I walk over to the 105 precinct. I walked in there. Desk sergeant is there. She looks at me and says, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'd like to donate money to the, the Brian Moore Fund. Um, I know it's a, one of your fallen officers. Who are you? So I didn't tell her my title. I just said, I'm Nehru Grant, and uh, I go to the church that's down the street, Living Hope Christian Church. I'd never heard of a church. I said, it's down the street. (laughs) I mean, we don't lie about this stuff, you know what I mean? You want to come with me, you know what I mean? And so she said, then she says, why do you want to give, why are you giving money? I said, you know, our church just feels for the loss, and I don't know if his partner's here. I just want to encourage him, and oh, he's not here, he's off. I said, all right, then um, can I leave the check with you? That's all I want to do. So she says, no, you can't leave it with me. I'm not in charge of that. You need to speak to the community affairs officer. All right, no problem. Well, she's not here. So, all right, I'll come back the next day. Came back the next day. I have this check I want to give to the community affairs officer. I meet her, and I'm sitting down talking with her. She asks me the same question. Why do you want to do that? And I said, you know, our church just felt the pain, so gave the same story. And she says, well, I'm not the person in charge of handling that. I wouldn't even know who to give it to. Um, but go back to the desk sergeant. Ask her to look up the name of the detective in charge of the family. I said, all right, no problem. Detective Michael is the name that comes up. Here's his cell phone number. I called Detective Michael on the phone, and I said, hey, you know, my name is Nero Grant. Where are you from? I said, I'm the church. Finally, I just said, maybe it works better if I throw out my title. So I said, I'm the pastor of Living Hope Christian Church. I have a check for the family of, of Officer Moore. By the way, who do we write it out to? So they gave us the name of the parents, and we had this card written up the whole night. We want to make it look nice. And so I said, can I give you the check? He says, well, I'm not at the precinct right now. I'm with the family um, I will tell them about what's going on, and, and uh, maybe that'll help. So I said, all right, no problem. But what do I do with the check? He said, hang on to it, because at some point, you're going to be able to put it in the hands of somebody. Now I'm getting frustrated, right? I'm like, God, I finally care. You can't open the door. So anyway, I go to a community board meeting. I figured if anyone's going to be there, someone's got to take money from a church. I mean, wow, the church is giving away money. We always ask for it. Now we're get, what? I mean, come on, now this is good stuff. So I go to the community affairs meeting, and I'm sitting there, and the head of the whole precinct, Inspector Schiff, is speaking and sharing what's going on in the community. And, and at the end of it, I walk up to him and I said, Inspector Schiff, um, you don't know me, but my name is Pastor Nehru Grant. I go to the church down the street, Living Hope Christian Church. I was wondering if we can donate some money to the parents of Officer Moore, who is one of your fallen officers. And he, he says, yeah, um, you know what, I'll, I'll do that. And he opens up the envelope right away. And he pulls out the check, and he, he has these square glasses, and he picks up the glasses, and then he takes them off, 
and he rubs his eyes. And that story still makes me emotional. He rubs his eyes and he waves his hand in the air and says, hey, everyone. I've been here for 27 years and not one church has ever cared. And he looks at the other, because there are other pastors in the room, we all come to the community affairs meeting. And he says, all of you guys come and give me your problems. But this man shows up with a check to help us solve a problem for an officer he's never met. And he hugs me. Now I'm standing there like a stone now because I'm slightly embarrassed. And, and so he hugs me. And he leans over and he says, anything you need, I will provide it for you. Your church has now become part of our precinct. And I just went, I don't even know what that means. So a couple of months later, there was threats made to churches by terrorists. And I'm sitting down and I'm thinking, you know, my, my elders are buzzing and so what do we do, you know, and, and not like any terrorists are in our neighborhood, but not that we know of. You never think these things are going to happen to your church. That's what we always say, right? And so all of a sudden I look outside the window of, of, I'm getting ready for church. I look outside the window and I see lights spinning, cop lights spinning. And my phone rings. I never answer the phone on a Sunday, but I happen to answer it. Spectre shift. Hey, Pastor Grant. Yeah, we're rolling lights in front of your church to deter anyone that has a bad idea. I'm sending two of our officers inside. Officer so-and-so, our, both of them are coming in, and they're believers. You know, make them feel welcome if you could. I said, make them feel welcome. I'm going to honor the heck out of them. So they come into the service, and they're just standing there, good officers, right? They got their belts. I guess that's the way they stand. And I don't know why they do the foot thing, but they do it. I guess it's the planted. You guys know if you're an officer, you do it too. You all do it. You hold the belt there. And I, I get up at the pulpit and I tell this whole story because no one in our church knew we did this. We didn't want to make it public. So I tell the whole story and I said, guys, could we stand up and honor our first responders? And that church, let me tell you, they turned around and they made such a noise. I thought they were going to blow the roof off the place. And one of the men who's standing there, he takes off his hat. And he just starts rubbing his eyes. A couple weeks later, he says, you know, pastor, I'm not a believer. In fact, I'm an atheist. But that's the first time I've ever seen people of God do something that was worth something. And for the first time in my life, I'm thinking more about Jesus. Folks, if you hear my message well, I think what God is asking all of us to do together, not your church alone, but combined. I think all of us need to love Christ, to initiate compassion, feel it, and to initiate care. If we are going to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then may God break our hearts for what is breaking his and give us the strength to show care, to give care, even if it costs us. And so Jesus is right when he says this, or at least the expert of the law is right, when he says, the Samaritan, why? Because he shows mercy. And I close with the words of Christ. You too, go and do likewise. Can we pray? Lord, we thank you for your mercy and grace and compassion, for the love that you've asked us to show. Lord, may we give it right back. Jesus, we love you. With all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we love you. But help us to be more compassionate 
Help our hearts to, to break for all these things. Lord, you're a good father to us. And look at all that you've done for us. Like a father who loves his son perfectly, you've loved us in the same way. And Lord, we pray that that love can be reciprocated by us to others. That we'd be able to show care to the people who are around us in need. Not just in different locations, but sometimes right in our church. I bet, Lord Jesus, that there's someone here right now who is hoping that the church would care enough to show their compassion. So I pray, Lord, that somehow that the people of God would be identified with those who need help. And that those who need help would be willing to accept it. And Lord, I pray that your will be done. Help us all to be more Christ-centered, compassionate, and caring. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.